Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Sajid Ahmed. He is the CEO of Wise Healthcare. He's a true innovator and pioneer in healthcare information systems. He has unparalleled experience in all aspects of applying computer technology and web-based applications to deliver the highest quality of medical care to patients and provider systems. He is the visionary behind Wise Healthcare and is guiding its work in artificial intelligence, workflow engineering, and healthcare organizations, virtual healthcare, and more. He also serves as an advisor to the leadership team at Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital in South Los Angeles, where he was formerly the hospital's chief information and innovation officer. In that role, he oversaw the hospital's $70 million health information technology initiative and launched an innovation hub on the 42-acre MLK Medical Center campus. He created and launched eConsult in partnership with the Los Angeles County Department of Health Services. eConsult is an innovative telehealth system that allows for virtual consultations and collaboration with specialists that is becoming a national model for the standard for care coordination and access to specialty care in the U.S. Today's podcast, we're going to be focusing on virtual care and world of healthcare access, how that's changing. What do we have to do to adopt? He's a devoted husband and father of two, enjoys backpacking, running, and diving, and uh, super grateful that he carved out a couple minutes here of his time with us. So, Sajid, can't thank you enough for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, did I leave anything out in that intro that you want to fill in? I think there was just too much in, in the intro, but, <laughs> but no, I think that captured it perfectly. Uh, the, for me, it's been a, a real journey in healthcare and learning both the payer side when I worked at LA Care Health Plan and then having to launch a startup hospital, the Martin Luther King Hospital in South LA and learning the provider side has really given me a great breadth of knowledge and experience and working with amazing people in those two settings. So in the uh, your time at MLK, that you guys built that from the ground up? Yeah, I was wow. uh, employee number two. Wow, and, that's uh, interesting. And, and yeah, it was, a, it was a startup hospital. And uh, one of the most, uh, we don't have enough time in this podcast to talk about it. But if we ever did another one, I would tell you a lot about that experience and what we did really for the community in South Los Angeles and the history that's there. But yeah, building this startup hospital from the ground up was one of my best experiences in healthcare. I think I'll have uh, for a very, very long time. Man, that's really cool. And just thinking about the impact that all your work and the team that worked on that made and how it's just going to carry forward through the years is, is something I'm, I'm sure you feel really good about. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I can't tell you enough. We'll have to do another podcast one day just to talk about that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll make that the teaser, folks. So if you're listening today, you're like, oh, why don't you talk about that today? Well, you'll have to tune in for the next one. <laughs> um, Sajid, so what is it that, that got you interested in the medical sector? Just to keep it very brief, there is a, there's a long version, but the short version is since I was a kid, I have uh, parents who are like, you know, you, you got to be a lawyer, doctor, or engineer, you know, Indian yep. parents. And at the same time, when I grew up in my time, computers weren't really prevalent. The internet wasn't really, I mean, it was up, but it was between academic centers. So 
you know, I really was focused on becoming, uh, going into medicine. But at the same time, I had access here in Southern California, where I live uh, near Pasadena, access to computers. All most mm-hmm. of my friends' parents worked at JPL NASA, Jet Propulsion Laboratories NASA. So I had access to the first Apple and, and the cool. Commodore 64. So I really got into programming. And when I went to uh, UCLA, I, I kept both of my interests alive. I was pre-med, but I was also a programmer for the very first computer lab for a med school, the UCLA med school, the very first computer lab in the U.S. designed to train doctors on computers. And I got to work in this computer lab and set computers up and do programming. And I think those two passions really kept me going. However, I really got involved in Silicon Valley during the dot-com era, got ultimately got involved in a medical startup company with a, a number of specialists, doctors who wanted to jump in on the internet bandwagon at the time, like everyone else. And that really led me through learning about healthcare in a very, uh, the business of healthcare, I should say, in a very intimate way. And that experience brought me to today, just to fast forward, where I have been involved in both medicine, healthcare, and technology, and really have had a, an amazing career to date, especially with working on a public health plan, LA Care, in the last 10 years, and also this startup hospital. So I think what led to that interest was, you know, maybe uh, parents pushing in a certain direction, but I also was very fortunate where I lived. I lived very close to NASA JPL, and I worked at JPL when I was in high school. So I got real hardcore programming skills, you know, volunteered, worked in hospitals and in the healthcare environment when I was at UCLA. So I think that really uh, gave my background, you could say, in both medicine and technology. Sajid, that's awesome. You know, and, and I and I love just learning about sort of that that road that you took, the beginning of things. And as you well know, trends change. And so as you've seen the system evolve, you've been part of that ev- evolution early on. What do you think is is a topic that needs to be front and center in the minds of the leaders listening today? Well, I think for the first time, well, let me qualify that. I think for the first time in a long time, there is this recognition in the industry that adopting technology is a requirement, uh, not a ancillary or kind of a, a hobby that your IT director would come to you, whether you're in a health plan or clinic or hospital and say, oh, here's a new tool. Really, healthcare has been an industry that's been lagging in adopting health information technology, Mm -hmm. not medical technology. Medical technology advancement in the U.S. has been tremendous. Uh, The U.S. is a leader in MRIs, in new surgical tools, in even biopharmaceuticals and genetic design drugs. New treatments has been very treatment-oriented, I think, and very perhaps even very diagnostic-oriented. But what the business of healthcare has lacked yeah. adopting is health information technology, health IT, as we call it. Yeah. And that involves EHRs, connecting data through health information exchanges, and really integrating, quote unquote, telehealth, which I call virtual care. I think those three now have been forced in the last 10 years, one in part due to the funding in 2009 from the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act. There were two pieces of legislation in there that uh, put forth billions to uh, procure to help providers buy EHRs. Mm-hmm. Now we have EHRs almost everywhere for better or worse, in many yeah. cases for the providers because of the challenges of, of what points. an EHR is. And I think now slowly this idea of sharing data 
between systems uh, and the value of that data, not just to the patient, but there's a business value in, in the new reimbursement contracts and the new risk sharing contracts in these ACO environments where the sharing of data for the purpose of managing a population rather, and also an individual, managing a, an individual's care through a patient-centered medical home, as well as managing a population of people. Those have become drivers of adopting these electronic health systems and sharing data. And now I believe we're at a tipping point where we've had these devices that I know you have on your desk and I have in my hand, hmm. these smartphones, these amazing computers that are far more powerful by factors of, of 10 to 100 than the computer that took man to the moon 50 years ago. So you have these amazing tools and technologies, high-speed bandwidth internet available almost everywhere you travel. And so the idea is people are using this to do banking. You and I do our banking. We, we order food, we order our, our rides, and we do everything on this device. I think we're coming to that point where we'll be accessing healthcare through that device and talking to our doctors directly, getting diagnostic assessments using AI agents, and scheduling appointments as easy and as simply as ordering anything that comes to our mind on Amazon and getting it delivered, if not tomorrow, the same day. So I think we're, I think that mindset needs to be really adopted that technology and consumer technology is changing and will change how healthcare is accessed. And the focus is access, right, Sajid? I mean, that is correct. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, thinking about this from a, from a provider or a payer perspective, how your communities are accessing healthcare is changing. People are, they've fallen, we have fallen in love with the way that we interact with our providers. Like Sajid was mentioning, the numerous rides or food, or you, you fill in the blank there. Healthcare is next, and how we adapt is the call to action. So give us an example, Sajid, of what you guys are doing at uh, Wise Healthcare to uh, bridge the gap. So thank you for asking, because I think one of the reasons we started WISE, and WISE is an acronym, like everything in healthcare becomes yeah. or is an acronym. <laughs> so WISE stands for Workflow, Innovation, Sciences, Engineering. Huh. Uh, it's okay. a fancy way of saying that regardless of technology or process, what I learned at MLK through many lessons there in setting up a, a brand new hospital and to treat patients of our local community is that you could bring in the best technology. You could have the best workflow design right up from the scratch. But the moment you bring in people into that process and to use that technology, workflow falls away unless you don't engage those people in that conversation, in that workflow design. So mm -hmm. one of the things that we are launching and have launched uh, here in the Inland Empire, both in San Bernardino and San Bernardino and Riverside counties, two of the largest geographic counties that include urban mm -hmm. and rural environments where patients have very mm -hmm. limited access to primary care and very, very limited access to specialty care. They, they have to travel sometimes an average of 70 miles to seek care, is that we said, well, we want to make access to care for this population out in the east side of Southern California, east of downtown LA, all the way to the borders of Nevada and Arizona. We want to provide that, that population of people that has limited access to care and a convenient way to access care, a convenient way for their doctors to communicate with their colleagues about that 
about them and about their patient care, determining whether they need to seek specialty care or not. So in a very specific implementation we're doing, we're launching what's called eConsult. And eConsult's been around now, thankfully, it's been around for a little over eight years. Originally started out of San Francisco, General Health, and I give a lot of credit to Dr. Alice Chen and Dr. Hal Yi, who led the first eConsult implementation in San Francisco. I was at LA Care at the time, and my good colleague and friend at LA Care, Dr. Lee, and I went about doing a pilot on eConsult. We saw that this eConsult worked really well. And what eConsult is, is an electronic communication between a primary care provider and a specialist. And really, it's a way to make this curbside consult, as physicians know, Mm -hmm. uh, where they call up their colleagues for advice, a formal process, an electronic process. And more importantly, we've evolved that now to today as a care coordination process, meaning that the patient, when they go, like you and I, we would go to see our primary care and the primary care doctor traditionally would say, okay, I see this, uh, uh, this rash on your arm, or I can tell you have a urological issue or a GI issue, or perhaps even a cardio issue, and I really think you need to see a specialist, they would make a referral. Right now, 60% of healthcare is accessed through a referral process, meaning the primary care doc refers to a specialist. That's throughout the nation and predominantly through managed care. That's that's 100% of managed care is accessed through a referral process. And when you have this, that becomes a barrier, a barrier for someone living not only in rural communities, but a barrier in a low-income impacted urban community, such as South LA and other areas throughout California and the nation, Mm -hmm. where there isn't that much specialty care within that geography. Or even ways to get there, right? Like the social determinants in the area. Yes, or even ways to get there. So right, yeah, right. and that leads into social determinants. So uh, real quickly, what we've done is deployed a process using our, our WISE methodology called INCA, Innovation Change Approach, another acronym that basically says we use design thinking and lean approaches to basically implement this process. And this process is supported by a very simple HIPAA secure messaging technology. Now, what we've done which I give all the credit to my teams and to the leaders here in the Inland Empire who have really said, this is the direction we want to go. We've made eConsult part of the business process of the referral and the authorization of that referral. We've made it a required process, meaning anytime. It's not voluntary. It's not just a like an esoteric telehealth tool that a primary care provider can choose to use or not. We've said, look, there's a benefit. The benefit is very simple. The patient sees you, you do an e-consult with the specialist, and two out of three times, yes, they need a face-to-face care. And you've already now benefited through the e-consult process of having your workup already packaged, yeah. all the data, the information, ready to go to the specialist that you're going to see. But one-third, one out of three times, up to 35% of the time, mm-hmm. you don't need to see that specialty care because that primary care doctor in coordination with that specialist have come up with either a treatment plan that can be done by the primary care provider in the setting that you're already in and hopefully closer to as a patient, and or it's been determined that you don't actually need to seek care either not right now or maybe not even in the future and that you can come back six months later. Mm-hmm. A third of specialty care visits, and I don't like to use this word deferred, but are not necessary. And people say, well, 
isn't that another way of gatekeeping? The answer is no, because this specialist that is talking to your primary care doc is helping that primary care doc understand what is necessary to make that appointment, what is of value to the patient. So imagine you don't have to drive unnecessarily for an appointment that would be set three to six months in the future by eliminating a third of those unnecessary specialty visits, but still providing specialty care through the primary care. What you're doing is you're opening slots for those specialists and all those specialties to see patients that need to be seen earlier. So outcomes, we talk about outcomes in here, and this is outcomes rocket. The outcomes are very straightforward. Reduced no-show rates, faster appointment to specialty care, better quality of care when you do go to see a specialist, less visits over time because the tests and the studies done by a primary care provider are included in that e-consult and sent to that specialist that is uh, seeing you and and is saying, okay, I don't have to have you come back again after ordering this test. Those three benefits, faster access to care and direct quality of care through this electronic messaging system is what e-consult is. In fact, I think it's evolved beyond e-consult. It is really an electronic dialogue, a a care coordination process. And the technology behind it isn't novel. It's very similar to our what we do on our phone, the text messaging, the email. It's secure and it includes all the data that needs to be exchanged between the two providers. But I think this has been a quiet disruption that I've been very fortunate to be part of since 2010 when I first started nine years ago at LA Care. And I had the had the pleasure and the wonderful opportunity to launch it throughout all of LA County. So now I can very proudly say that I've been part of a transformation from the Santa Monica coast, here all the way to the deserts east of Los Angeles in Southern California, that, that entire geographic area covering almost 15 million people is now have access to eConsult. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the public systems is how we've deployed it. But eConsult is now spreading throughout all of California in various implementations and stages. So if I had to kind of make a case of what we're doing is we go to every one of the 300 plus clinic sites, we've gone to every one of the hospitals that we work with in the Inland Empire and basically have my teams have gone to each site to do this workflow redesign to better adopt and use the e-consult process, which is now required by the health plan in order to get an authorization for specialty care visit. So I know I've gone on and on and there must be a number of questions, but I have to tell you, this has not been easy, but it is- I can't imagine. Yeah, Yeah. one of the amazing transformations that's happening right now. So, uh, I mean, fascinating work, Sajid, and you know, the I could hear the, the the passion as you talk about the journey and the how this care coordination put in place as a requirement is where my head keeps going, and just and I'm sure all everybody listening is like, well, yeah, not so easy <laughs> to make it required, you know. So, I, what was the process to get that done? That's an excellent question. And actually, that's the seminal question, I think. I think other peers that are listening to this podcast, hopefully, if they don't mind my voice, other providers, health plan administrators, I think the takeaway is that the value of providing convenient, timely access to care is very important. Yeah. So important that it outweighs all the concerns that I hear. And I mean, I get asked about, well, what's the What's the liability? And I get that question asked from both the primary care provider and the special saying, well, what's, what, what's my liability? I'm, I'm having a conversation with this 
other provider? And we, we have to answer that question. And then we get questions like, well, I'm, I just want to do a referral. I'm a doctor. I'm a primary care doctor. I know what my patients need. I know this is a referral. Why can't the health plan just approve it and move on? Why do I have to talk to this doctor every time? And we answer those questions, you know, that it's A, not every time, and, and this will really benefit you. So we don't get to everybody all at once, all sure. the time. But I think to answer your question about how and why we made it mandatory and how we kind of work at it, we've done it in a very collegial way. We start off working with everybody as stakeholders that's mm-hmm. involved. So we worked here in the Inland Empire as an example with two of the largest public systems, brought them in as leaders, as stakeholders to really support not only the members of the health plan, but other patients that they can use this e-consult process on even for other payers and said the investment's going to be made. And I think the main part of, of how to even get those stakeholders in is, is a leadership. Dr. Brad Gilbert, Dr. Jennifer Sales, the CEO and CMO who launched this with us two years ago, they really, and both of them being primary care docs in their previous lives and, and still doing some time, understood the challenges, but they also understood the value. Dr. Sales in particular did the e-consult in LA County where it was also required. And she saw that being implemented when I was implementing it and said, yes, it can work. So I think when you have leaders that recognize Mm -hmm. the challenge, that recognize the value and can help support the message and engage stakeholders and bring them in through a process. And our process at WISE is a very stakeholder buy-in process. That's the first step. The second step is empathy. You walk with those primary care providers and their staff. You, It's a high-touch, hand-holding, full support process because you are going in there and it is a disruption to the normal business and practice of healthcare. When you say, oh, you're no longer doing a referral anymore. You're doing an e-consult or an e-dialogue or whatever you want to call it. What it is, is you're saying, now you need to think about sending a message off a clinical question to a specialist, a virtual specialist that will respond to you within a day or less and give you that input on your patient. And then the challenge for the primary care provider that we've learned in this particular environment of implementation is communicating to that Medi-Cal and Medicare patient saying, hey, we're not just here to give you referrals. I've been asked to do a consult, which I've seen a value. And I will let you know in a day or two whether you actually need a specialty care visit or not, which is, do you need a referral or not? Because patients, I think, aren't directly involved in the process, but they're, they have indirect expectations that they went to a primary care and getting a referral. Mm-hmm. So imagine you have this cultural shift that you have to support, a culture shift of expectation from the patient who's expecting a referral, a cultural shift of the primary care provider who is inundated with patients on a day-to-day basis at their FQHC or, or medical practice, and they're just trying to move that patient along in the system. And all of a sudden, we're introducing a new process and intervention. That doesn't take that much time. And we've done the studies on this one, but the perception right. that it's going to take Nobody likes work, change. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And then getting specialist reviewers to, and many of them, I think that's been the easier part is specialist reviewers are seeing the writing on the wall that to augment their business or to have a transition from doing practice 30 years, nonstop practice where they see 20, 30 patients a day, depending on the specialty, the full day, they're transitioning into how can I use my expertise and provide care? So one of the things I I think I'll mention as a teaser 
to all of your listeners is they will be a land grab for specialists to provide specialty care remotely, whether it's using live video, live consultation, or asynchronous communication like e-consult. I think there's going to be a land grab because that mind trust is going to be very useful. And I think there's this recognition now, a lot of care can be provided remotely in the comfort of our home, whether it's an acute condition or if it's a chronic patient that that should remain at home in the care at home and providing this leveraging technology to do remote monitoring, to do live consults with the patient at home. That is the holy grail of access to care for many people rather than taking, uh, getting an appointment two weeks from now, if you're lucky, driving to that appointment, then getting a referral that's two, three months away Mm -hmm. and driving to that location, ultimately having your care impacted where you need to go to the ED. So the outcomes potentially are tremendous, reduced unnecessary ED visits, faster access, better outcomes because the access is faster and better and better overall health outcomes. So I think that's my takeaway for anybody looking to adopt a care coordination process and making it a mandatory business process, a mandatory clinical process is to really lead, is to really address these issues. And I don't mean to overtly advertise, but they have to commit to a team that can support those doctors and that process, whether it's a a wise healthcare workflow in a team, or it's an internal project management team that can go in, or a care coordination team, or a clinical informatics team, whatever this team is called inside a health plan or a hospital system, or even at a clinic level, clinic organization level, a referral coordinator, having those folks support workflow redesign is one of the key success factors after leadership uh, direction. Love this, Sajid. You're sharing some incredible, incredible pearls here for the listeners. And, you know, at the very beginning of our talk, we talked about, you mentioned the perceived and the real challenges of what we're now calling virtual care instead of telehealth. I believe one of the real challenges is that the opportunity to access the pool of specialty care across the U.S., right? We're still kind of antiquated in our in our policy of you got to have a license in every state. What's your thought there? Well, so policies are evolving. I don't know if they're quick enough, but I've seen an acceleration in the last year and a half with a couple of announcements last year by both the Centers for Medicare Services, CMS, that updated its telehealth policy to include more reimbursement for telehealth access for certain specialties. Within the state of California, also there was a a following after the CMS announcement that updated the state of California's telehealth policy that included, that actually just became finalized as of July 1 of this year to allow both reimbursement for an increased number of specialties. It also adopted what I think should be adopted nationally, which is they made the patient's home an originating site, which is great. So that means payers uh, will reimburse doctors for communicating with patients at home while the patient is at home. So the patient doesn't have to come into a clinic for the provider to then file a claim for that care opportunity. And more recently, this also included e-consult 
reimbursement as defined, as eConsult is defined in the telehealth policy for both the primary care provider and the specialist. I think this is a, a tremendous recognition and first step. And, and that has that has become also as of July 1, effective as of July 1 of this year. So I think there's been an adoption and a change. A great change, just to give you an example of, of what's happened just in the last couple of years, a little over two, three years ago in Texas, a patient had to be seen by a physician in person first before they could do any remote communication. And that finally was changed, that policy was changed by the Texas Medical Association and legislation at the state level uh, just a few years ago. But I think what's been the the biggest change is the former director of the VA, David Shulkin, uh, before he left, was able to push through and get uh, policy to make the VA, the providers in the VA, unrestricted because it's a it's a federal entity so they can do it unrestricted. What I mean by that is a veteran can be in Florida, can talk to and remotely communicate with in whatever form, diagnostically or consult-wise, with a doctor in Seattle. So hmm. the state by the state by state restrictions, so the provider had to be in the same state as the patient, does not exist for the VA. Oh, wow. And also the VA That's took away cool. the, the is that the recent? Work yeah, that, that was as of a year and a half ago. So that is the first nationwide That's amazing. Uh, lifting of that restriction where the, the, the doctors have to be in the same state as the patient to provide telehealth, which is ridiculous. I think the VA uh, <laughs> became a leader in this. The VA yeah. also took away the word telehealth from its lexicon. They refer to everything as virtual care because yeah. that's the point. Virtual care is exactly that. It's care provided virtually through, remotely through all the devices that are ubiquitous now. Telehealth um, is like so dusty, right? It's, it's so old. It is. It's been around for well over 30, 40 years. The military was one of the first ones to actively use this concept called telehealth. In fact, it was called telemedicine first. Mm -hmm. Telehealth became the broader definition and term to include other things. And I think now we've landed at, at virtual care. Some people call it digital care, but it's virtual care. And telehealth, unfortunately, has a historical kind of affiliation with academia. And it was a very focused study in providing access to care in remote areas, uh, rural, really remote rural areas that have very limited access. But I can tell you urban areas have very limited access to healthcare too. Yeah. So using these mobile devices and not thinking of them as telehealth helps from both the policy reimbursement and implementation. Because when you think of telehealth now, people think of it as an ancillary or an extra service, whereas we just think of it as another modality of care. Doctors talking to doctors through email and phone, that could be interpreted as telehealth, but it should just be another modality of care. Patients and doctors talking through the phone or live video and getting act, getting care diagnosis and treatments through these modalities is just that. It's just another modality. Whether I'm seeing my patient, my doctor, in person or not, shouldn't matter how that care is provided. So I think that mind shift is part of what I would convey to anybody listening to this podcast. And I think they all know it. I, I think everyone sees it. I think it's just adapting that mind change and saying, oh, we're not creating a new service line. We're just accessing the specialty care through virtual care. And I will tell you that that is something that that Wise Healthcare is doing. Wise Healthcare has supported the launch of a brand new multi-specialty virtual care medical group called HubMD. HubMD oh, yeah? is, is just that. It's a hub for specialists that we work with. And it isn't just to provide 
e-consults or live consults. There's a new model of call coverage for emergency department work that's done on a per diem basis where doc specialists are on call and they go into the ED. We're launching that service as a purely virtual care service with penalties for doctors coming in. That's a higher cost. Hmm. So really working with ED docs and the hospital system to say, we can bring you top-notch specialists right into your ED, right into alongside your ED doc and the patient. And for most consult required calls to specialty care can be done virtually. And yes, if you need someone in person, yes, but that is not the primary driver. So I think virtual care and how it's adopted will be a single driver of success. And I think there are numerous institutions. I'm not the newest leader on this talking about this. Um, Others have committed millions of dollars to both building a hospital that's purely all virtual care, where all the doctors are providing care virtually. You've got Teladoc, you've got American Well or Amwell. You've got a number of medical groups that are converting their practices into specialty into virtual specialty care practices. You've got, I would almost say, hundreds of technology companies that are supporting either as their primary business or as their secondary support to other businesses, virtual care. It is a multi-billion dollar business right now, and it's growing tremendously. I think the last stat I said that I saw was it would be over $23 billion in business next year, and perhaps even more. I I might be a bit out of date on that one. But yes, it's it's huge. I I can go on and on so you'll have to <laughs> give some. no it's good Saji. this has been an awesome interview folks virtual care is here to stay the world of healthcare access is changing how do we adapt and that's what we'll leave you with here today Sajid Ahmed chief executive officer of wise care visit them at wise.healthcare.com or is it uh, wise.healthcare? It's wise.healthcare. Okay. Visit them at wise.healthcare for more information. And as you all know, go to outcomesrocket.health, type in wise healthcare in the search bar, and you'll find the entire transcript and short notes for this uh, interview. Sajid, leave us with the closing thought and uh, best place where the people could follow you. Yes. I would say that for anybody in healthcare or outside of healthcare, this is this moment right now that we're in is one of the most important moments in healthcare. It's one of the best times to be involved in healthcare. The amount of innovation and transformation that is happening is amazing. And I think the opportunities with other companies coming in like Amazon and now Google and Microsoft and Apple coming into healthcare in a very smart way, bringing in leaders such as the former CEO of Geisinger and Atul Gawande, who's been a, a leader in healthcare. The These companies are hiring these leaders to come up with new ways to deliver care better, faster, and actually transform care. So I think for the first time in my 30 plus years in healthcare, have I seen a real transformation that's about to happen. So this is an exciting time. And yes, if you have any questions, please reach out to me at SAJCookie on Twitter, but really Sajid at wise.healthcare. You can reach me there. And of course, on LinkedIn, Sajid Ahmed, you can find me on LinkedIn and ask for any questions you guys uh, have. Would love to answer and connect with like-minded folks as well. Thank you, Saul. Hey, Sajid, it's been a true pleasure. We've learned a lot here today and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you, Saul. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.